Trade deadline trades don't happen very often, or at least big ones don't, and that's why the whole Justin Verlander trade was kind of a big deal last year. But judging based off the last two seasons, nothing is sacred anymore, and everyone can just get traded after the deadline. There are no rules at all anymore. Josh Donaldson, a former MVP, just moved like three weeks after the deadline. Can you explain to me why this happens? I really can't, honestly. And frankly, this is like one of those rules in baseball that like I don't really get. And I also don't really know how to explain to people, you know, it's like, so yes, there is a trade deadline, but for the month after you can still make trades, but so only, it's not a but trade every, deadline. <laughs> so it's not a trade deadline, but you can only make trades with players, with teams who claim the players and you don't actually have to make the trade. So it like it's a very convoluted system and I I don't really understand why they do it. But uh they wonder why we, we say baseball is not accessible to everyone. <laughs> you have to understand what revocable and irrevocable claims on players are. Yeah, it's bizarre, man. So here we are, September first, and Josh Donaldson is a Cleveland Indian. And sadly, Andrew McCutcheon is a New York Yankee. Yeah, I suppose the the non-waiver trade deadline is technically what it's called, the first one that right. we were referring to, yeah. but I don't, I don't have the time to say all that. I'm a busy guy, Alex. <laughs> right, so. That's your, that, should be your, that should be your pitch to Rob Manfred. You'd be like, I need you to make one trade deadline because I don't have time to say uh, all the different variations on your dumb waiver, non-waiver trade deadlines. <laughs> It just seems it seems like way more intuitive to have it in one clean cut. Like we're, it doesn't have to be. I don't know. Baseball's so like laden with policy. I feel like yeah, it doesn't need to yeah. be like that. <laughs> Let's just have a trade yeah. deadline, and then anything after that, you're shit out of luck. <laughs> we're streamlining the game, man. Yeah, you know us. We're all about efficiency here. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you said it. Josh Donaldson to the Indians, Andrew McCutcheon to the Yankees, and uh, basically everything is bad. I hate seeing a guy like Andrew McCutcheon in those stupid pinstripes. It's gonna be it's gonna be weird, man. And he he posted the selfie of himself yesterday with the shaved face, and I was like, this is just this is just bizarre. He, he said, I don't know if you saw Lindsay Adler's tweet that he said um, he wanted to make sure his kid would still recognize him after he shaved, <laughs> so he like held him as he was doing it. <laughs> That's iconic. Uh, oh. I didn't see that tweet, but I'm glad that you brought it up. He looks 15. <laughs> he looks like a kid. He'd be like, mom, why did I get a second brother? And yeah. Crutchett's kid would say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> I still think he looks good, but it's disappointing that I now have to root against him. Although it's not like I was rooting for him when he was on the Giants. It's not like I'm a big, big Giants guy. Yeah, but like I'm, I'm rooting for him as like a guy, right? You know, I want, I want him to get that ring. I'm, I'm happy for him. You think... I guess, yeah, well, he does. Empirically and objectively speaking, he has a much better chance of getting that ring now. Yeah. I don't know if it'll happen, obviously, but like... Yeah, of course. I came across a tweet from like a year ago or whatever, from a couple days ago, when the Mets traded uh, Curtis Granderson post non-waiver trade deadline to the Dodgers. And I was like, sent him off, go get that ring. 
my sweet son. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, Granderson got traded too. He's a Brewer I know. now. So I, is it again, everyone? Go, yeah, right. And so is Gio Gonzalez. Bizarre, man. The rich get richer. Can we talk about how the Brewers are? Uh, we actually don't have time to talk about this, but can we talk about it as a phrase that I say too much? So can we talk about how the Brewers are actually really, really good? Aren't they in first? Uh, and Christian yeah. Yelich is like NL MVP good. Uh, yeah, we don't. We didn't even write this into like the schedule, but Christian Yelich hit a freaking cycle. So that's fun. Six for six. Shit. Yeah, I <laughs> MLB posted something about I think like Matt Carpenter, like a video of Matt Carpenter hitting another home run or something like that, and being like, "Is he going to be the NL MVP or something like that?" And I was like. Please don't ever personally attack me ever again by saying anyone other than Jacob deGrom deserves to be NL MVP. <laughs> Why don't you yeah. just tag me next time, MLB? <laughs> I uh, Yesterday at work, I turned to everyone that was sitting near me, and everyone was just kind of quiet doing actual work, and I turned to everyone and was like, guys, I have an announcement to make. I'd like to mark today as the day that I start my Jacob deGrom for NL MVP and Cy Young campaign. If you need any information about this, I will have pamphlets ready on Monday <laughs> as to why he deserves to be NL MVP. Okay. He's having a better season than when Clayton Kershaw did it. So let's do this. I'm in. Uh, Start the wanna, campaign you, now. You want to make your pitch right now? You want to take 30 seconds to make your case? N- no, because it's like really statistics like heavy and we have a lot of stuff to get to later, but just... He deserves it, man. Throw the guy a fucking bone. What a year. <laughs> why, why does DeGrom deserve the MVP? Because, man, just look at it. He just, look at what he's been through. <laughs> he, to be fair, he has been through a lot. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Um, no, I, I don't. The, now's not the time to make the pitch, Alex. I'll save the pitch for when the voting gets closer. So yeah, follow, follow BWAGS1121 on Twitter for your day-to-day DeGrom for MVP campaign. Honestly, we could, we could make some social media, some cards, some pictures of stuff, some pamphlets to pass out on Twitter. Yeah, the true. Pitches account. It'd be a nice little campaign for us. Look at our, o- look official, at us. our official endorsement. <laughs> look at us socially influencing. This message was approved by the Jacob deGrom for MVP pack. <laughs> um, yeah, do you have much to say about your former son, Josh Donaldson, moving to Cleveland? No, he's a dick. So like, I don't really care. Yeah, like, you excommunicated him from the family, right? <laughs> yeah, not a fan anymore. Um, <laughs> he was. I was talking with my mom about this, but like, he was even kind of a dick on the A's. So like, whatever. I just, I hope he finds what he's looking for. But I personally won't be a part of that endeavor. Yeah, um, Cleveland is ridiculous. <laughs> they should be so much better than they are. I don't understand it. Like, that's my unprofessional analysis of this but like look at how many good players they have why are they not good that's really unprofessional analysis excellently done (laughs) thanks (laughs) that infield though i made a joke from our account that they're adding a former mvp third baseman to an infield that already has two current mvp candidates and the mets have fucking jose reyes wilmer flores and i don't even know who jeff mcneil who's been great but like they called him up from triple a this year yeah and yeah that's my life right now <laughs> things are good that's my life yep things are great todd fraser the the todd father yeah but you get your weekly david wright update that he's not back but is hoping to make it back soon so you got that going for you dude david wright is really just saying fuck it and he's just he's doing the thing where he's just willing it to happen by saying like i want to play 
I intend to play this year. And then he's just like, balls in your court, Mets. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not going to play me, then I'm just going to continue to tell the media who absolutely adore me that I want to play. Like yeah. the media eat that shit up. That's a good strategy, man. Yeah, it's a solid strategy. He's not an idiot. He's been around New York for a while. <laughs> in typical fashion, we bantered on for longer than we wanted to in the first 10 minutes of this podcast. Uh, and we're going to get to some actual stuff later. Uh, but before we do, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And this is Tipping Pitches, presented to you by the Jacob DeGrom Pack for MVP. And uh, presented to you by the loud Latin music that's coming from my basement as well. Uh, (laughs) So if you hear that intermittently throughout the podcast, just know we put it there definitely on purpose, just for like a little mood uh, music to to get the mood going. It's to remind you that Alex lives in New York City. And what comes with living in New York City is crazy ambient noise that you're never ready for. Yeah, but it keeps you on your toes, right? That's, a, that's the fun of it. You never really know when you're going to get woken up at 1 a.m. by, uh, by music. <laughs> um, it is a kind of eerily quiet in L.A., especially since I live like out in the suburbs now. Yeah, that's weird. I it's always weird for me when I go home and it's like deathly silent at night. I'm like I need people like out on the street yelling or something like that, you know? Yeah, fighting. Yeah, exactly. Couples couples fighting on the stoop. <laughs> Love that. Love that. Our old apartment is back up for rent. Apparently the people that moved in after us didn't do well <laughs> Not a there. fan. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not a didn't fan of that spacious backyard where they knocked the fence down and pushed the construction up to six feet away from the door. Yeah. I wonder how that old building's doing behind us. I wonder if it's done by now. They were supposed to finish this summer. One day I'll go back and check it this out. This is what people come to the pod for. Yeah. This absolutely. is now a housing podcast. <laughs> <laughs> One day I'm going to go back. I'm going to listen to every episode. And every time we've said this is now a blank podcast, I'm going to do a super cut of that. It's going to be like 10 minutes long. Yeah. This is now a basketball podcast. I was going to say, it's going to be 80% of like us saying this is now a basketball podcast. True. Uh, can you tell me about what the hell JD Martinez is up to though? I don't even think that I can. If you had put the number, if you had put the line of number of times we say the word Hitler on this podcast at one before the season, like I probably would have taken the under on that. <laughs> And well, yet you here, would have lost money and, now. <laughs> and yet here we are. <laughs> um, so, I, I, first of all, I just want to read this headline from Deadspin because it's fantastic. The headline is, J.D. Martinez follows in the footsteps of Red Sox greats like Kurt Schilling. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the recent series of people unearthing old social media posts by Major League Baseball players, it came out this past week that jd martinez posted on instagram this time so it wasn't twitter so instagram now back in the race for most toxic social media platform at least tipping pitches is most toxic social media platform jd martinez posted a literal photo of hitler it's a literal photo of hitler with a quote overlaid over top of it that says to conquer a nation first disarm its citizens would like to point out two things about the quote number one not actually a hitler quote pretty sure yeah, from, uh, from from what I've understood of the situation. Number two, wrong form of it's. <laughs> First disar- disarm, it is citizens. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a fucking editor, dude. 
I realize how petty that is, and <laughs> I realize that nobody cares. That nobody is the cares problem with this me. post. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem with this post. Um, and JD's caption to the meme that he shared, which is that's actually what Instagram was for, sharing Hitler memes. Yeah. But JD's caption is this is why I will always stay strapped. Hashtag the truth. Oh, man. There's a lot to unpack here, Alex. There is a lot to unpack there. Do you want to get the ball rolling on unpacking this or should I? Well, it's just weird. You know, like I'm looking at it right now and I don't really know how to wrap my head around it. Like ostensibly it's anti-Hitler. So I guess that's a good thing. That's the the first step is that he's he's in theory, (laughs) what he thinks he's doing is using Hitler's verbiage to explain why he needs to hold on to his guns. Yes. So here, let's start with this. It could be pro-Hitler and it's not. So that's a very good thing. Okay. We've cleared the bar that's on the ground. Now let's yeah. move up to a higher bar. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's We're not going to clear any of the other bars. <laughs> exactly. My first feeling when I saw this and I sent it to you on Twitter, I, I like saw someone tweeting about it and DM'd it to you and I was like, what the hell is going on? And you were like, is he pro-Hitler? Is he anti-Hitler? And then we thought about it more. It's anti-Hitler for sure. We've now gone over the line of Hitler 10 on the betting line so far on this yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my first thought was like, in order to argue for your gun rights, you need to be sharing pictures of, of Hitler everywhere on your social media account. Yeah, weird it's look, just, my yeah, guy. It's a very it's a very weird way to make your argument, you know? Like there are so many better ways. I'm I kind of gotta give credit to him because I don't think I've ever seen anyone do this before. It's a bold choice. Uh, he said that when he posted it, the Second Amendment was like definitely a hot topic, which like, first of all, it still kind of is. So like, you when would was prob- it not you a would, hot topic? You would probably still post this meme today, but all right, bro. Um, but yeah, just really strange way to make your uh, to make your case, man. Yeah, it's a really strange way to make your case. And also, this one hurts, man. I, I didn't know anything about J.D. Martinez personally. I've obviously read a lot about him as a baseball player and whatnot because he's like, one of the best hitters in baseball, but I wanted to like him. Yeah, I wanted to. I, I he's a really handsome guy. He hits the crap out of the ball. All other things being equal, he'd be a great guy to root for. And now it's over. So JD Martinez, you're officially on the tipping pitches shit list. I know. Yeah, he didn't Deadspin even like- has Deadspin has a, a list of all the things. It says, as Martinez said at the end of his presser, he doesn't want to talk about politics. This is referring to the presser that he gave after this resurfaced and he had to kind of defend himself or whatever. And then um, M-Dash, love a good M-Dash. Maybe because it'll reveal that he's a big fan of Fox News and Donald Trump and then they're all like, all those words are hyperlinked and it's like (laughs) different hyperlinks to his Twitter likes, which are all Fox News opinion pieces and Donald Trump tweets and MAGA tweets and all that shit. And I'm like, God, how did did this go undetected for so long? Yeah, right? How did Tipping Pitches, the official podcast of the baseball left, (laughs) not know about... (laughs) Neo-Nazi J.D. Martinez. (laughs) Yeah, we got to, I guess, make that our job now is just start combing through through athletes' accounts. Yeah, let's do it. Let's just expose these people. I actually don't want to do that. That doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound enjoyable at all. We're making an effort. You and I, or at least I, and I think by proxy you, are making an effort to be more positive when it comes to baseball. Trying to look for more positive things. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a really depressing season of tipping pitches. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Well, transitioning out of the uh, the Hitler Instagram post segment, uh, we're going to take a quick break and then talk about uh, Aaron Boone and uh, good and bad rule changes. So there's a lot of arguments on Twitter and in articles and from talking heads about what makes a good manager in 2018. Because, you know, these analytical front offices, they just put in their guys, they're going to listen to everything they say, blah, 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 AJ Hinch, even though they won the World Series, whatever. Um, And Aaron Boone is like the star child in the middle of that Venn diagram. Basically, everyone loves him because he was in the booth and I guess was nice to everyone and like played and he's a very gritty played the game the right way kind of guy but also he's been able to transition to be analytical for the new york yankees i personally and i I feel safe in saying that tipping pitches doesn't really care about any of that debate when it comes to our favorite managers (laughs) i think the quickest way to becoming our favorite manager is to have an epic meltdown in front of an entire stadium (laughs) (laughs) and aaron boone did just that i think last night right friday night we're recording this on saturday uh yeah on friday if you haven't seen we'll post a link in the description and we'll tweet one out or whatever he was arguing balls and strikes (laughs) and he got down in a stance (laughs) and showed the umpire where he felt that the catcher was catching the ball and the umpire didn't like that very much and boone came running into the umpire's face and started screaming some obscenities that i will not repeat even though I am a professional lip reader. And I don't know, man. He's got the title belt now. The The Braves minor league manager had it last week, but Boone now has the title belt for tipping pitches, manager ejection of the week. Yeah, this is pretty wonderful. I love the manager that like feels the need to mimic the the right way to like do uh for for umpires to basically do their job, right? So for for Boone to get down into the crouch and show him this is where the strike zone is, that's that's pure gold, man. You don't see that a lot. It's inspired acting to say the least. <laughs> like that's the kind of thing I, I just want to know I just want to know what goes through your mind. Like is it something where he had been thinking about that all game where he was like, you know, if this umpire makes another uh, bad strike call, I'm going to get out there and get into his face and then get down into a crouch. Or was it something where he was like mid yell in the manager's face and then he was like, I know what I need to do. I need to fucking show him. And he just like got down uh, in a in a stroke of pure genius, you know? Oh, it, it is pure genius. I, I don't think that you can premeditate something like that. Because if you premeditated it, you wouldn't do it. Because you would think how stupid you look doing it. <laughs> it reminds me of, I think I might have mentioned this on the pod at one point or another, but Bryce Harper, I think in like early Nationals minor league days, which didn't last very long, so it had to be at a pretty low level. It might, be, might have been like high A right after he got drafted. 
he got called out by notoriously terrible minor league umpires um, by one of them on a pitch that he took that he felt was very outside and turns out on replay was very outside because Bryce Harper has a really good eye. (laughs) And after the strikeout, after he punched him out, Harper walked to the opposite batter's box, drew a line in the dirt and said, that's where the pitch was. (laughs) And the umpire rejected him for it. (laughs) I love this. I love the demonstrative ejections where they use the field as a prop. I think it's genius. Yeah. That that's your sandbox, man. You got to make the most of it. Yeah, seriously. It's like a blank canvas. What can you do with it, right? Yeah, and and all of the best ejections are all they all use that. Right. They employ some sort of device that involves the field. Apparently Ron Gardenhire actually uh actually was so inspired that he went out and got ejected on his own later in the game, although in not nearly <laughs> as creative of a way. It was pretty boring, honestly. What surprises you about that sentence? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> My favorite thing about arguing, I I think an unintentionally good consequence of that rule change about how you're just not allowed to argue balls and strikes at all anymore, because that's been like the last five years, I think that's been the rule, that technically you're not even allowed to come out and argue balls and strikes, it's an immediate ejection. That's not the way that it always plays out, because umpires run things however they feel like doing that day. But my favorite unintended consequence of that is that a manager knows when his team needs a jolt. And it's a, it's like a get out of jail free card, essentially, because you can just you you know you're going to get ejected by going out to argue this. So you can premeditate it and kind of choose your spot the best. It doesn't actually have to be about a terrible call because you can argue balls and strikes at literally any point in literally any game. And what's the umpire going to say? No, you didn't see the ball come in slightly outside. <laughs> like, I think it's fantastic. I'm so pro ejection. If I was a manager, I would try to get ejected. <laughs> like yeah, once yeah, every absolutely. six games. Well, and this is and so this is what we were talking about, and it kind of leads into our our next conversation. Um, that the what replay has done is it has drastically stifled the ability for managers to even come out and argue their case, right, and get into these um, swear laced tirades against umpires and really get out there and kick the dirt because, because what are you going to do? Like, you're going to just sit there, like as they're on replay, like just kind of slowly kicking dirt on him more and more until like their shoes are covered. Like, like what's the, what's the most interesting that you're going to, are you going to like get on a bus to New York and show up at the replay office and like yell at them, you know, like once the, <laughs> like they send the call to New York and then they make the call and then the, the manager's like, well, there's nothing I can really do about it. Cause it was reviewed. And then he's just like, all right, I guess I'll just sit on my hands at this point. It's, it's frustrating to say the least. <laughs> get on a bus to New York. <laughs> I don't think Aaron Boone's been on a bus in like 15 years. Absolutely not. Uh, Yeah. Replay is soulless, right? And a lot of people like that. It, it's it's cold and cut and dry, and I think it's like a little too scientific. We've had that conversation. We there's a whole. I mean, maybe we can link to it or whatever. But there was a, literally a pod where we spent the first, I think, twenty two minutes ranting against replay, and it was, I think, some of our best work personally. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I'm pretty sure I used that as like one of my clips applying to the ringer. So apparently the ringer is anti-replay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We just gotta, we gotta keep a running list of like why it's bad. Really. We should make that like a dedicated section on our website, like the case against replay. I'm down. Uh, write a dissertation. And every time on replay it. messes up. Yeah. But this 
speaks to a a larger conversation that we have many times on this podcast about uh, what might be wrong with baseball today and what is right about baseball today. And it leads to, and, and not just among us, it has led to hand-wringing among pretty much everyone involved with baseball about like, what can we, what can we do to fix the game? Like, uh, like baseball is too long. Baseball games are too boring. It's too slow. It's just uh, this and that, or are strikeouts killing the game? Or well, I don't know. We have, we have discussed many a, uh, problem with baseball, problem in scare quotes, uh, mm-hmm. and and this has kind of become a, a beat of ours. So of course we have to talk about the piece in the Wall Street Journal from this past week, titled "A Radical Pitch to Save Baseball." <laughs> oh, you know what baseball needs? Radicalism. Absolutely. <laughs> Everyone is so open to that in the yeah. world of baseball, and obviously it's going to be the Wall Street Journal leading the charge. Oh, yeah. Hashtag Wall Street Journal, join the resistance. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The deck for this article is titled, A pair of academics offer a dramatic rule to increase competitiveness and cut almost a half hour from a nine-inning game. So so you ready for this, Bobby? Hold on. Before you start reading, I want to say I haven't read this article. I saw a lot of backlash to it on Twitter. I kind of know where it's going. Whatever. There's literally not a single word of that deck that appeals to me <laughs> not one <laughs> nope a pair of academics all right i'm out see you guys <laughs> <laughs> oh it's not even just academics guess what uh guess what university one uh is a professor at isn't it harvard uh maybe but what's is the other the... one nyu oh yeah oh yes. obviously that's so good that's yeah. so good wow yeah we are the most qualified people in the world to talk about this article <laughs> we absolutely are um so the the rule that they are proposing is called <laughs> this is so ridiculous it's called the ketchup rule and what it's it's very simple and it is designed to basically give worse teams a better shot because what they want to do is i guess some people have a problem with like the competitiveness of some teams and you know there there's a lot of talk about teams tanking and everything like that so the, the so the point mm-hmm. is to close the gap a little bit and it's a pretty simple rule and so how it works is when the game is tied or it's zero zero baseball is exactly the same nothing changes but when one club takes a lead then the number of outs that they get is reduced to two so if your team is batting and you score a run then you now get two outs in that inning instead of three and that's it Mm. That is the entire rule. You just, if your team is leading, the literal, like one of the fundamental rules of baseball just totally changes. Wow. They, they don't want to change like strikes, counts, anything like that, just the outs. Nope. It's just, so if, you know, first inning, uh, who's the who's the Yankees leadoff hitter? I don't, I don't know. Brett Gardner? It's Brett Gardner. Uh, not, a good, not a good example. All right, Brett Gardner gets on, and then, I don't know, whatever, Didi Gregorius or Aaron Judge hits a two-run homer. Now the Yankees have two outs instead of three in that inning. You don't get that third out. And the goal of it is basically just, I don't know, to penalize the team for being good? I don't fucking know, man. You know what I think we should do? I think we should reverse the rule. I think the team that's losing should only get two outs. Yeah, absolutely. Backs against the wall, baby. What are you going to do? I I never, I never, trust me when I say, I never thought that I would say these words out loud, but I do not need nerds 
who have never played the game before <laughs> coming in and telling me how baseball should be played. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh man, that is choice. That's a choice cut right there. Yeah. What are we ta- what are we talking about here? What is it? No. No. <laughs> no. What that's all I have to say. Like what this is not kickball in 5th grade. Yeah. This is the this is major league baseball. It's been played with three outs as one of the fundamental rules for 150 years. What is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> the, the author of this piece, Jason Gay, um, has a line in here where he says, I know, it's simple but jarring. I don't expect the old school types to like it. Baseball isn't a sport accustomed to big changes. People still fight about the designated hitter, and that rule was introduced in the Middle Ages. And wow, it's like, at me, at yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> He's like old school types. Like what? So if I just propose a rule, if I say um, I get to decide that some games just end after seven innings, and if you don't like it, you're old school. Sorry, this is just the new new school way of thinking. Like that's not how that works. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's not how that works at all. I'm deciding that the Mets get to go to the World Series every year. That's it. It's new school, baby. Yeah, yeah. It's new, new school. school thinking. New school, New York. Let's do it. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, oh so this is it's, it's it's bizarre. So like what it does in in their studies it basically showed that if this was implemented it would reduce the margin of victory by more than a run and uh like 24 minutes would be shaved off an average 9-inning baseball game. Oh, 24 minutes. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's going to everyone who doesn't watch baseball and doesn't know anything about it now and doesn't like the way that baseball stamps out personality and is racist and homophobic is going to see that number 24 minutes and they're going to start watching uh, guarantee absolutely. you this oh, they're going three? to get off instagram they're going to get off twitter they're going to get off netflix and hulu they're going to say what is this streaming bullshit i'm going to go out to the old ballpark 24 <laughs> minutes wow i'm going to pay 13 dollars for an ipa yeah oh a three hour 11 minute ball game fuck that two hours and 48 minutes hell yeah i'm on board oh yeah get me in get yeah. me in there I got even less time. I'm gonna spend less money on beer and hot dogs. <laughs> I might not. I might only need to be eat one meal at a baseball game instead of two. <laughs> what is this? this is, like, this is just so dumb. And like, for what it's worth, like the writer tweeted this out and got rightfully ratioed for this because this is a ridiculous. This is a ridiculous idea, and I don't think that anyone in the right mind thinks that this is good. But I do think that it speaks to this kind of fundamental idea of like how we look at the problem with baseball, especially when it comes to like competitiveness, in that we look at good teams and we look at bad teams and we turn to the good teams and we say, you're too good. This is not fair. You're cheating by accumulating these players and spending money. And therefore, we have to make you slightly less good to give everyone a better chance. And Mm -hmm. it's so ridiculous because why are we not turning to the bad teams and saying, you're not good enough. You're not spending enough money to put a competitive product onto the ball field. We need to find some way to compel you to be better. Like making good teams slightly less good is not going to get anyone more interested in baseball. Like, hey, here are the historically good uh, 2018 Red Sox. Now they're 20% less good. Do you want to watch now? (laughs) What? Uh, Yeah. The Warriors, every time they go up by more than 15, they're not allowed to have Steph and KD on the court at the same time. Yeah, exactly. That's new school. school. (laughs) Steph's only allowed to shoot threes when the Warriors uh, aren't up by more than 15. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
No, I agree with you. I think like it's a very top-down way of looking at it, like a, a very top-down way of fixing competitiveness in baseball, doing like weird gimmicks to make competitive teams jump through loopholes as opposed to forcing the Wilpons to sell the Mets, you know, for example. Like yeah. it's not that the solutions are there. Twitter figured them out like 8 years ago, dude. It's yeah. <laughs> like I I genuinely the people, I mean, Jason K has written some some stuff that I actually like and I I haven't read the article so I don't want to say but the way that it, you presented it it's not it wasn't his idea he was writing about like a study right um right yeah he was he was writing about these two professors who just came up with this idea yeah i mean it's clickbaity as fuck and like what where where it's 2018 even the wall street journal needs to do some clickbaity stuff but i just i'm sick of like writers being obsessed with this idea of uh, like baseball needs to fundamentally change rather than like baseball needs to change the way that it talks about itself. Cause I would love any writer to find me one person that doesn't watch baseball because it's 24 minutes longer and who would watch baseball if it was like under that magical three hour number that Rob Manfred like sits up in bed in cold sweats thinking about <laughs> in the middle of the night. I don't think that's a thing. And I've never met anyone who thinks that's a thing. I've met people who like baseball because they grew up watching baseball and that's it. Or adopted it later on because of certain things. Those certain things being they liked the personalities of Javi Baez, Francisco Lindor, or whatever. Yeah, they found God. Yeah, they found God. Uh, They found a ballpark in their town that they really liked that's cheap enough to go to with their friends when they're like in their 20s or whatever. I've met a lot of people like that living in a city. And so if your solution to baseball's viewership problem or whatever, or baseball's age problem, which granted, those are facts. Don't don't get me wrong. That, that That's a problem. And we, we rail against that all the time. That the reason that baseball is so wise is because baseball is so old. But if your solution to baseball does not involve promoting those things that I was just saying, that the reason that people find baseball later in life if your solution doesn't involve promoting those things, promoting personalities, promoting affordability and accessibility to games, then your solution to baseball is wrong. It's just, it's not actually a solution. You're not fixing a problem. You're making up a problem in your head and, and it's like you're straw manning the hell out of that. Okay, hear me out. This rule change is actually good because it would, make, it would make the old white men so furiously angry that the game is changing that they would just disavow it completely and we just rid them of the spore. Like this is just like, this is like the toxin that you need to drink just to like wash out the, the stuff from your body. And then baseball can be reborn anew and we can just get rid of the, just get rid of the rule again. And we've got rid of a, uh, rid of the toxicity. That's a take for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like 12 dimensional chess right there. Here is my counter to that take. <laughs> if you did that and got rid of all of the toxic white men that watch baseball, baseball would be ultimate frisbee. That's how <laughs> relevant it would be in the culture. Because no uh, yeah. one would be watching it. No. Yeah, there is no, there is literally zero magic bullet, like rule change that is going to quote unquote fix baseball. It's not, the on-field product doesn't have a problem. Like the game itself, there's not an issue there. It's yeah. it's all at the top, man. There's no three point line for baseball. There's no shot clock for baseball. It's not it's not happening. <laughs> like yeah, those things fix the NBA. But like, guess what? Different sport, different type of sport, different goal. You run around in a diamond. You're not trying to go side to side fast as you can. Yeah. It's just a different thing. 
it's like jazz versus rock or whatever. It's just we're not talking about the same. It's not in the same time key. <laughs> yeah, you want to force baseball to be more watchable, more interesting, more competitive. Force the Blue Jays to call up Vladimir Guerrero Jr. right now, today. Force the White Sox to call up Eloy Jimenez uh, right now, today, instead of manipulating their service time and keeping them down so they can pay them less money down the road, right? Like, these are the real problems. You think base? You think people don't want to watch baseball? There are these stars who are tucked away in uh, minor league stadiums because MLB teams are too cowardly to actually spend money on them. That would be Peter so Alonso, much fun. David that Wright. Would be, that would be... Yeah. S- that would be so much fun to watch and i i don't understand it truly i don't understand it either you want to have people watch baseball single cam on francisco lindor 100 percent of the <laughs> yes, game yeah absolutely <laughs> just give me a tight shot of that smile <laughs> i'm watching that all day but that's better than the oscars red carpet <laughs> i'll write a blog post about that yeah <laughs> yeah well we've done all this rant before i just it's important that we address that real change in that Wall Street Journal piece. Um, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Marlins again, because apparently they're the official closeout team of tipping pitches now. We're going to end every episode talking about them. For this next segment, Alex, I'm really excited to to let you know on the fly that we're going to be joined by Mr. 305, Pitbull, Mr. Worldwide himself to talk about Miami, his hometown city. Oh my God. <laughs> That's literally my dream is if Pitbull were to join us on Tipping Pitches to talk about the Marlins, I, I would have to, I, we'd retire the pod after that. I'm not even kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if anyone listening knows Pitbull, make it happen. No, oh, knows him personally. Yeah, if, if if like if like Pitbull's cousin listens to this, just let us know. Hook us up. If Pitbull's cousin listens to this, then we we're successful in life. Uh, yeah, we did everything we wanted to do with this podcast. We're mailing it in for the rest of our lives. <laughs> no, what we're here to talk about is the Marlins did another cool thing, which is really refreshing. You know, we dunked on the Marlins a lot before this season started, and. By the grace of Derek Jeter, they're just coming through in the clutch. (laughs) Um, At home games next year, the Marlins are going to do a thing where they're going to encourage fans to bring musical instruments, flags, and more to Marlins Park next year in a newly named outfield section called Comunidad 305. 305 obviously being like the, I guess, area code of Miami. Phone area code, right? Uh, And... The, the season tickets will start at on an average of $8 a game for this section. Uh, it'll be out in right field. And the quote from Chip Bowers, who is the president of business operations, is, um, I guess I'll just read the whole thing. He said, we really embrace the heritage around baseball and the heritage around people from Hispanic culture. So bringing that same mentality we saw around the World Baseball Classic, we've seen around EPL games, MLS games, in and around the U.S., how do we get that engagement uh, buy-in where people can proudly support their love for the Marlins and also for their particular culture? So this is like out of a playbook of things that Tipping Pitches has ranted about wanting, you know, when we've talked yeah. about uh, the KBO, we've talked about baseball 
in South America. We've even talked about a little bit of a World Baseball Classic when, you know, like when Lindor hit that home run in his home country. Um, and so, <laughs> full stop, 100% love this. There's not anything that I don't like about it other than the fact that people are going to be playing <laughs> terrible music, probably. People are going to use it as an opportunity to say, uh, buy my mixtape. But other than that, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I just imagine still no one showing up except for like one guy with a bugle who's like playing taps in right field <laughs> as while the Marlins lose like seven to one to the Indians or something. Wouldn't you go just for this, though? This is like an attraction. Yeah, I think like I would go if I had like a band or something or like, a you know, like a brass band, I would just like go with my whole band and buy tickets for a whole row and be like, hey, let us have this uh, half inning and we'll just crush it. And then you guys one row up can have the next half inning. I don't know. I think it's really cool. Yeah, totally. It is embracing like the Miami culture and everything like that. Um, And it's trying to cultivate if you, you know, even if you're on field product if your team that you're putting out there is not the most watchable at this point um trying to get the fans into it is really interesting you know i mean in a way it makes me think of the a's stadium and like the right field bleacher creatures who are like out there every game waving the flags and doing the drums and everything like that and they've you know kind of built up their own culture in a sense which is at this point more or less sanctioned by the team and so trying to build and engage your fan base in something and be like, hey, like you're actually a part of this, right? Like, like we want you here um, is really cool. And I guess my only hope is like that they don't stop doing this a few years down the road when slash if the Marlins get competitive again, you know, if they don't say, all right, well, we uh, we had fun with this. This was cool, but like now it's annoying that we're drawing 30,000 people again. Uh, we got to cut this out, you know, like this is something mm-hmm. that could very much be become a part of the fabric of the stadium and you know i hope it remains that way yeah it just goes with the vibe right yeah it's marlin stadium in a very figurative sense is loud as hell right like the artwork in center field all the bright colors right there's a pool um it's not loud in the literal sense but maybe this will help that because <laughs> there <laughs> yeah. are no people there usually uh yeah. we talked about when you went and you gave your little report from what it was like to see a game there and they don't even open up the second deck so that's rough maybe this will be a reason for people to come out and watch um in conjunction with the thing that we talked about last week was that the the marlins will now require their english-speaking players to also learn spanish as opposed to just requiring spanish-speaking players to learn english i don't know two things pushing the culture culture in a literal sense not like organizational culture the culture of that franchise forward and we got to give credit where credit's due, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that we, old, we, old Jeets, you know, <laughs> slapping it, it the other way. Love that. I mean, Look we talk a lot. Diving at a grounder in the hole. Look at him go. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've talked a lot about like the KBO um, or like the Japanese baseball league, uh, just about like the, the way that they get their fans so into the game, right? Like they are such a part of it. And, and this is just a step in that right direction. I don't think they're necessarily doing it uh, for all of the right reasons. It's not like um, a winning team is doing this sort of thing. I think this is more, this is in part a way to get fans out to the ballpark at all. Uh, But, you know, it's a step in the right direction. So we'll take it. I'm in. I'm in. 
if Pitbull ever performs live in Comunidad 305 in that little section, I'm going. I'm flying in. Booking the next flight to Miami. Now, tying all of this together is, like you said, our uh, our main man, Derek Jeter, who is, I think at this point, might be the mascot of the pod now that Tim Tebow's been uh, ushered off into uh, into the distance with the, the, the end of his season. So, yeah, we could do that. We can make the ending section about Jeter every week. There's apparently yeah, enough your, news now. Yeah, your weekly Jeets update. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the deets the deets on Jeets. Ooh! Yeah, there <laughs> it is. Bring that heat. I was going to try to make a pun off the captain, but that's way better. <laughs> um, <laughs> as longtime listeners will know, we uh, skewered a piece written by Tom Verducci for ESPN earlier in the spring for basically writing an entire fluff piece on Derek Jeter. And, uh, but, you know, you really can't squeeze out enough profiles of the man now that he's running the Marlins. So ESPN is back. This time, Jerry Krasnick takes a swing at it. And, uh, and so this I one I know is- you're being sarcastic, but, like, can we just go back to that little sentence that you just said? You really can't squeeze enough profiles of the man now that he's running the Marlins? Honestly, <laughs> that's crazy. Nobody cares about the Marlins, as evidenced by the fact that we just talked about no one goes to their games. Their team is terrible. They have such a low payroll. Everyone's like, I don't even know why this team's in this city or this stadium. And yet ESPN's like, we got to give them the profile treatment. Every Honestly, three weeks. well, like I think establishment older establishment writers like love Jeter just because he played the game with grace. You know, he played the game the right way. And so now he is now here he is running a baseball team and in some ways failing spectacularly at it. And so ESPN writers and other writers, yeah, I'm I don't sure, know if that's just like, I don't know if that's fair. What? Yeah, he, saying he's failing? Not spectacularly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, his first moves of decimating the entire team didn't exactly go over so well. So, uh, yeah, but they wouldn't think, pay off even if they did go over well. Yeah. All right. My my point is more. I think every a lot of people would like to see him succeed in spectacular fashion, and yeah. so far the fruits have not been born yet. But uh, but that doesn't mean sure. that we can try and pick his brain every couple months and see what he's up to. Well, he's the CEO now. I don't know yeah. if you know this. Is he the CEO? He's not only the CEO, but he's being educated on how yeah. to be the CEO. Yeah, so here we go. The education of Derek Jeter, baseball CEO. <laughs> um, this one, I th- I don't think was as blatant as the Verducci piece. Like, this wasn't necessarily an ego stroke. I think that Jerry Krasnick was kind of genuinely curious how things are going. Yeah. And the thing is, we just don't really get an answer. <laughs> because <laughs> I don't even think Derek Jeter could tell you what the hell's going on, you know? It's just another sort of like meandering profile in and out about like what Jeter kind of does now that he's not just a former player. He's like something else. There's a part in the middle where it's like talking about the 32,000 foot square foot uh, Tampa Manor that he lives in dubbed St. Jetersburg. And I'm like, is that really about his CEO education and yeah, there's um, there's there's so much in here that's like no detail is too small for Jeter, and I'm like, I would hope so. He's running a freaking baseball organization. I like, know, I think you could I apply know. that. You could apply that to every single baseball president. <laughs> this quote from him: While I was there around the minor league complex, I tried to learn as much as I possibly could about scouting and player development. I started saying it publicly about ten years before I retired. I could never see myself coaching or managing or scouting. I'm like, what? he started to learn about how baseball operations are run 
what did you start to learn? That's an interesting profile. Like, yeah. are you suddenly pro swing plane revolution because of something that some coach taught you in single A? Like, it talks more about him getting into the nitty gritty. And this is the same for the other profile that we talked, the Verducci one. He says more about how detail oriented he is than he actually shows. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, journalism 101, my guy. Show don't tell. <laughs> it's yeah, it's really strange. I mean, there's stuff in here about like the big bottle of hand sanitizer that was on his desk, and everyone thought that like that was his bottle. But like this profile makes sure to clarify that it was actually um David Sampson's. So we've got that cleared up. It was not Jeter's uh <laughs> bottle of hand sanitizer in case that Who was still bugging for? you. Who is that for? Who is that like fact six, for? Six months later, the dispenser is history. The old black carpet has been replaced by a lush off-white, and the combination of overhead lighting and sun streaming through the front window gives Jeter's surroundings an eerily dreamlike quality. Yeah. I think where the profile actually gets interesting in the middle there, and this kind of speaks to what you're talking about with where Jerry Krasnick was genuinely curious is where it kind of switches to the it's bolded it says each day moves jeter another step beyond the wave of missteps and self-inflicted wounds that put him in an early pr hole so it talks about all the the payroll slashing and uh there's this paragraph which i think is actually really nice that says after years of largely teflon news coverage everything stuck the last time jeter felt this besieged he was making 56 errors in the sally league in 1993 i think that's actually interesting I think it's yeah. an interesting part of all of this is that he's gone his whole life never taking any shit and now he's taking a ton of shit from baseball Twitter. Yeah. But just giving him kind of like tabla rasa to just say whatever he wants about that feeling is not interesting, I don't think. And it's like, it's a lot of media pandering that kind of happens when you have a guy who played the game the right way yeah. for 20 years or whatever. Yeah, and there's this whole section in here about the about the community building that they want to do, right? And that's where the story about the the Spanish language learning, that's where that story came from. And they, you know, they put a lot of lip service towards wanting to build trust with their fans, right? And that is commendable, certainly, but it doesn't really interrogate why they decided to tear the team down in the first place. I mean, he says that the bottom line is that we took over an organization that was broken. And I don't think that that's true. It was under poor management, but like there was really nothing indicating that you had to sell off the entire team and gut the payroll, you know? Like yeah. like you like the trust may have been broken in some sense, but what you really did was twist the knife rather than pull it out slowly. You know what I mean? Um and that's what this article can't even get at is why he did that, why he felt the need to do that. And that's something that like Jeter himself only knows, right? I mean, maybe you really mm -hmm. just wanted to save money that much, but like you had the best outfield in baseball and you got rid of it full stop, you know? And that's something yeah. you can build around. And instead you said, no, we need to tear it down to the very ground. Yeah. This goes back to the conversation we had with Lindsay Adler and I think some of the conversation we sort of had around that time between just you and I, where my whole thing was like, if you don't have enough money to buy a baseball team and then run that baseball team like every other baseball team in the league, if the the rub is that you have to buy the team, tear it down, spend a little bit of money until you recoup whatever debt you took on 
or whatever, then you shouldn't be buying a baseball team. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. that's my whole thing with, like, the Wilpons right now is that if you don't have enough money to spend, like, a team in New York, then you should not have a team in New York. Yeah. And I don't know. Not a lot of stuff interrogates that because that's a hard, not a lot of pieces, not a lot of conversation really interrogates that because, like, who am I to say what Derek Jeter's financial statements look like or Bruce Sherman, who's the guy who also had a large part of that bid with Derek Jeter. And I just think it's it's a little bit like standing next to a guy at a baseball game and he elbows you and is like, have you heard of this guy, Derek Jeter? You know, that's the way I feel when I read these pieces. It's like, yeah. we know, guys, we know. Yeah. We know. Yeah. He's running the Marlins, we, know. we get it. You know how many times I've seen a Nike ad where he <laughs> ranges to his right because he's too slow to get in front of the ball and he backhands it and he jumps and he throws. I know. I get it. <laughs> it's just ham-handed. It's a little ham-handed. Yeah. I'm not like, uh, I don't want to crucify Jerry Krasnick or anything like that for this piece because I don't think it was nearly as pandery as the other one that we talked about with Verducci, but I just feel like our man was in the news and we've talked so positively about him that we just need to throw a little bone to our listeners who are ravenous to eat up Derek Jeter in the yeah. Marlins at any time. Yeah. <laughs> he like he like he does have a good quote in here where he says in my mind baseball needs to cater to the younger demographic. It's not always about who wins but the experience you have. Everything that happens in this park has to capture the energy, culture and diversity of Miami. We're catering to that diversity from the music to the food. And and that's good for like an owner to come out and say that and be like we really want to connect with the area that we are occupying, right? We want to connect with co- this community. That is absolutely commendable and so i think that that's why we cover the stuff that the marlins are doing because we think it's important and other teams should follow in those footsteps to kind of try to forge a a bond with the with your fans i guess i don't think you always need to start from scratch to do it but eh, oh yeah that's that's where we are i was just getting ready to say like there's no reason that this that every time a baseball team does something good it needs to be a phoenix rising from the ashes kind of situation we can just make the decision to do good things even if yeah. we're already good you know yeah, you, you can like, just get better the yankees bit, by bit. <laughs> the yankees tomorrow could be like oh that thing that jeter's doing in miami that's a good thing we should make our english-speaking players learn spanish you know they're a team that has just as much um spanish-speaking cultural influence in new york in the bronx with a farm system full of players that they've scouted from south american countries like there's yeah. no reason just because it's Miami and it's a weird uh, stadium and the team's relationship with the city is weird. There's no reason that they need to be the one to like take a drastic step. These aren't drastic steps. These are minuscule things that an organization could do that would make a lot of people in that organization's life easier. Yeah. Real, real quick, before, before I move on, I just want to read this kicker real quick. It says that he arrives at the park early each day, rolls up the sleeves of those white dress shirts and gets to work. Feel free to question his judgments and his decisions, but have no doubt about his mandate. He didn't come to Miami to lose. I'm like, oh boy, if you didn't come to Miami to lose, buddy, I got a real, uh, I got real <laughs> bad news for you <laughs> about you the next few years. You have 73 losses this year. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's so Paul Ryan-y, is it not? <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh my God. He's a policy guy. Derek is yeah. a policy guy. Oh my God. He totally is. Yeah. He's a wonk. So long. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to stop talking about Derek Jeter. What you want, baby, I got What you need, do you know I got it too? All I'm asking is for a little respect when you come home. Little bit, baby, baby. 
All right, y'all. We want to thank you for tuning in this week. You know that we love ranting about Derek Jeter profiles and bad rule changes. So if you have either of those that you want to send our way, please do so. If you've written your own Derek Jeter profile, we will do a dramatic <laughs> reading of it live on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know what you're committing us to. <laughs> Uh, tippingpitchespod at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with us about anything at all uh, please feel free to reach out our DMs are open as well Bobby you got anything else? yeah I just wanted to say like I, we really appreciate anyone who's listening especially this late in the pod we said we would try to keep this one short it's not really that short um, but if you are listening this late in the pod it means that you care a lot about it and so I want to thank you for that and uh maybe ask you to share it with someone else who feels the same way about baseball as you do uh because you know we've been doing this for a while now we've been doing this for over a year it'd be cool to to meet some more people who think about baseball the way that we do so uh if you have a friend who's looking for a baseball pod think about us tell them to listen on radio public tell them to listen on apple Podcasts. tell them to listen on overcast stitchers whatever just not soundcloud because soundcloud is not for podcasts <laughs> And yeah, we really appreciate any listening, any feedback, anything at all. So uh, keep listening, give us suggestions for stories, and um, yeah, enjoy the rest of the dog days of baseball. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, y'all. We will see you next week. Derek Jeter shows up. He's like, all right, five straight hundred lost seasons. Let's do this, baby. <laughs> he comes to Miami. He's like, let's bleed this thing dry like a venture capital firm would do with a media organization. <laughs> it's like twirling his mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am, the benevolent billionaire, Derek Jeter, who wants to ruin my public image. <laughs> I don't really know how to transition from Hitler to anything, if I'm being quite honest. That's because you shouldn't have to transition to hit from Hitler to anything. You shouldn't talk about that. No, you don't need to do that. Uh, what a fucking year, man. I'm going to post that as the outro, the outtakes at the end. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know how to transition from Hitler to anything. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>